Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com. A lot of women have started to turn into information around health, nutrition, and especially biohacking in my circles. And for all of you women out there wanting to know more about how to live healthy and how to manage your nutrition right, I've got someone special on the show. My guest on the show today is a nutritional therapy practitioner. She's an educator and a real food advocate. On the show today, my guest helps sugar cravers regain all their energy, lose all that weight, and balance their blood sugar without going to the gym or starving themselves. And hey, that seems in line with what we believe in Shift with CJ. So join me in welcoming Daniel Hamilton. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, CJ. It's a pleasure to have you on. Daniel, almost everyone who is passionate about something behind their life has a story. And your story is interesting because you had to go to the doctor's office, I think, 14 times in one single year. Can you share that story and what happened next? Yeah, absolutely, CJ. Um, I did just want to clarify that this information that I share is not only for women, but I definitely Mm -hmm. specialize in women. We're much more complicated because we have that pesky menstrual cycle to deal with and these Mm -hmm. difficult hormones. But all the information that we'll talk about today, unless it specifically has to do with female hormones, can be applicable to anyone of any gender. Um, But yeah, my story begins in childhood. I was one of those kids who liked all things sweet. I liked a lot of those standard American breakfast foods like pancakes and cereal and waffles and French toast. And if it was a processed carbohydrate, if it came from a box, if it was sweet, I was into it. And I had a lot of, I had a lot of kind of sicknesses that required antibiotics when I was a kid. So strep throat, lots of ear infections, lots of colds. And I, as I got older, I started to get sicker. I developed, um, strep throat six times in a year, my senior year of high school and had to get my tonsils out. Then the very next year, I got a bunch of allergies and asthma. I was allergic to so many things. They did a skin test on my arm and it looked like someone just rubbed bee stings or jellyfish on my arms. Like it just, they blew up. I was so sensitive to so many things. And I was starting to get those shots to help you, your body not overreact so much to what you're allergic to. And because I was allergic to so many things, they needed to put it in three different shots. And then About a year and a half later, I started to get worse again and I got retested and I was allergic to a bunch more things. So now I had five shots and I was going broke with the copays because the healthcare in the US, we have to like pay a lot whenever we go to the doctor. And so I was getting these shots all the time. So finally, they let me. kind of do it myself. And they didn't really know this. They thought a nurse was doing it. But anyway, (laughs) I digress. So I was giving myself five shots in the stomach, like three to four times a week. And I was on inhalers and prescriptions for the allergies. I was getting sinus infections all the time. 
I had no energy and I was just so sick of it. I was in and out of doctor's offices constantly. I had my gynecologist on speed dial. I'd be like, please just prescribe me this medicine so I don't need to, you know, go to the, you know, the drugstore or I don't need to, you know, come in for a visit because it was it just kept happening. All these recurring infections and candida and I was just a mess. And I and actually, coincidentally, this was at the point in my life where I was actually my thinnest, and but I was also my sickest. And I heard about this book by Rob Wolf called The Paleo Solution. And it's a book about eating real food, getting out processed food, and kind of uncovering a lot of these myths that are really perpetuated in modern society. And like things about the food pyramid and about, you know, how eating, it was basically, hey, do the opposite of everything you've been taught. Don't eat a bunch of grains that are on the bottom of the food pyramid, just eliminate grains. Don't eat these vegetable oils that they're pushing now, eat the saturated fat that they tell us to fear, you know, don't fear fat and cholesterol. And I wanted to shout this information from the rooftops. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was so wonderful because I started cutting out all the processed food. I did um, a paleo diet, eating all real food and everything, all the allergies, all the asthma, the sinus infections, everything just went away and really quickly too. And I never had to take medicine again. I was just healed and it was incredible. But then as I, uh, you know, a a few years later, I had a really stressful year and all that stress kind of, I felt like it broke something in my body. And all of a sudden my hormones, I was having all these hormonal symptoms that I had never had before. I lost my menstrual cycle. I had, instead of just having random acne or acne that might come in my, with my monthly cycle, it would be all the time all the time acne with like cystic acne on my forehead, on my cheeks, on my chin, on my neck. And I was, I was like, I thought I was supposed to grow out of this. And I didn't, you know, I thought this was supposed to get better as I got older, but I was in my mid twenties and it was getting worse. I was gaining weight, even though I was eating the same healthy diet that helped me to get really healthy. I, I didn't change anything. I just got really stressed. And then I also started to lose all this energy. I'd be sleeping really late. I felt tired all the time. And so eventually I got, I thought that I had PCOS, which stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is basically a hormonal imbalance um, that is characterized by elevated levels of androgens, which are things like testosterone and DHEA. And I would read the advice for people with PCOS and they would say, don't eat refined sugar. I'm like, I don't, you know, I would have things like honey, which is not refined sugar. Um, and it told me eat you know, cut out dairy and gluten. I'm like, I already do that. And they're like, eat healthy whole foods. I'm like, I do that. So I basically thought that I was already doing the right thing for PCOS. But obviously, since I didn't change anything, nothing changed. So finally, I decided I'm like, I'm just going to go the traditional route. I'm going to go to a doctor and see what they can do because I am just stuck. Like it was years of doing the same thing and just not seeing any results. So I went to the doctor and I was like, no matter what I do, I can't lose weight. I think I have PCOS. Like I, I need help. And he looked me in the eyes and goes, you have PCOS. You have to lose weight. There's no cure and you have to take the pill. I was like, what? Like what kind of informed consent is mm -hmm. that? It's just, 
it's garbage. And so I was like, well, I don't want to take the pill. He made me walk out with the prescription. I ripped it up when I got to the car and I was like, I'll show you. I'm going to reverse this. I do not believe that this is incurable. I mean, unfixable. I didn't have this at one point. Like this isn't something genetic. This isn't, it's just, it's, I just didn't agree at all. And so it just lit this fire in me to find something else. So I did take some medications and they did help a little bit, but I didn't want to be on them forever. So I got off of the medications and was still just trying to find answers. And I couldn't find them in these PCOS pages. I felt like, and I still feel to this day, that there is really unhelpful information that's being perpetuated on a lot of PCOS pages. And one day I heard a podcast by Dr. Jason Fung and Megan Ramos, who are in the fasting world. And Megan said that PCOS is the diabetes of the ovaries. And I was driving and I nearly drove my car off the road because I was in so much shock. And I was like, what do you mean diabetes? This what blood sugar? Like what the heck of what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I had to go look because the only thing I knew about diabetes at that point was that it had something to do with blood sugar and something to do with amputations because I had worked in a nursing home previously as a speech therapist and I had seen a lot of my diabetic patients had amputations. So that's all I knew. And so I was like, but I don't have diabetes, so I don't understand. So I took a look back at, um, I, I really kind of dove into what is blood sugar, what are the symptoms of this because if people don't know the symptoms of diabetes, we sure as heck don't know the symptoms of mild blood sugar issues, which happens decades before we like someone might develop diabetes. So I started to realize I I had done some fasting blood work for, for doctors earlier that year. And I went three times and all three times my blood sugar was between 60 and 63, which um, if you have a calculator, if we divide by 18, we'll get the millimoles. But basically that's hypoglycemic. So I was yeah. shaky. I was dizzy. I was lightheaded. And when I was getting this fasting blood work and I was like, God, I hate doing this. It's so it's it like, I feel so bad, but I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. I just thought I was a person who needed to eat in the morning. Um, sometimes I'd feel really shaky after coffee and kind of play it off that like, Oh, this is just because I had a lot of caffeine, but it didn't happen all the time. And it wasn't more caffeine than usual. It was actually that the caffeine caused my blood sugar to spike and then crash. And so uh, again, I was getting these hypoglycemic moments. I was also someone who always needed to have food with me. So At first, before I did paleo, it would be like I always had a granola bar in my purse or something. I'd always need to know where we were going to eat. I would often go out. I would eat before we went out to eat. And I was like, I don't know why I do this. And it was because I knew that I couldn't tolerate feeling hungry because for me, it wasn't hunger. It was a blood sugar crash that I was going to experience. So I intuitively ate and grazed and snacked all the time to avoid feeling these feelings. And so these are some of the things that I didn't even realize were issues. And meanwhile, I did have this insulin resistance and blood sugar issues that were at the root of my PCOS. And so if you've ever worked with blood sugar versus female hormones, it is so much easier to control your blood sugar because we can Mm -hmm. do that with every single bite of food that we're eating. And so when I started to 
work on my blood sugar, I just changed my paleo real food diet into ketogenic macros. I started to introduce intermittent fasting. I supported my digestion. I actually went to nutritional therapy school uh, at this time. And so I was doing a lot of deep work on the inside, supporting my adrenals, doing all different, some biohacks and things like mm -hmm. supporting my sleep with my aura ring. Nice. And wouldn't you know, uh, I no longer have any symptoms of PCOS or hormone imbalances. And it was just such a cool thing to be able to work on blood sugar, which is at the root of all other hormonal imbalances. And that's because blood sugar causes the release of insulin, which is a hormone, and insulin affects all other hormones. And especially what it does is it increases levels of testosterone. And so we can see that that is a direct cause of the elevated testosterone that we see in PCOS. So it was pretty remarkable. And now I use my story and my knowledge to help heal other people. So we'll help them heal themselves. <laughs> well, that is pretty significant and remarkable. And um, you touched on so many points that are now just jumping in my head, like from energy crashes to <laughs> hormones. And I think um, it's, it's a great platform that we can talk about everything in your story and just build on from there. So you spoke about certain symptoms, right? Now, I yeah. when I see normal people um, all around me and, you know, some people who are stressed out, a normal day in everyone's life might be starting with, like, cues of anxiety here and there spread throughout the day. People can feel um, fatigued and brain fogged first thing when they yeah. wake up, when they have to have a lot of energy. And most of the times people just um, blame things on the coffee they're like please don't talk to me until I, unless i have my coffee or you know after lunch and people are so yeah. irritable but then you go and talk to or tell me how many times have you seen like diet charts or advice from dietitians which say you've got to wake up in the morning and the first thing you have to have is a bowl of oatmeal with some orange juice because that orange juice and both oatmeal is going to give you all the energy but when we see all around the world, that isn't really happening. And I love that you touched on that, that um, increasing blood sugar all the time. And mm -hmm. this, is, this is applicable for everyone, right? Because most of us are in the same cycle. I remember I was in the same cycle as you a couple of years ago where I would just think that, hey, if I don't eat enough, I'm not going to make any gains at the gym or I won't look good and I'll lose all my muscle. And um, basically, I have to eat six times in a day to keep my blood sugar from crashing. Yeah, well, and you have to keep your metabolism going by eating yeah, six times a day, right? <laughs> That's what they tell you too. Exactly. And in your experience, like through all of those things that you've gone, how much of all of this is correct? So there is always going to be bio-individuality, which means that mm -hmm. every person might have this little difference. But in general, we were born in ketosis. <laughs> so all babies are born in ketosis. And if they're exclusively breastfed, they are in and out of ketosis. And so what that is, is it's a metabolic flexibility, which means that our bodies can burn fats and sugars and all different types of nutrients for fuel. So we want to have a flexible metabolism. We don't want to have a fast metabolism. That's kind of a, a myth or a misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. What we want is our body to be like, okay, if we eat some sugar or carbohydrates, it could burn that off. But then once that's done, we can kind of tap into our own stored body fat for fuel. And that is going to power us through and keep us with these stable blood sugar levels where we're not constantly needing to 
okay, we have, we have oatmeal and orange juice for breakfast. Then we're going to have to, our, our blood sugar is going to go up a lot. Yeah. That's going to give us energy, but guess what's also going to happen. We're going to get a lot of insulin spiked. And what mm -hmm. insulin does is it puts the sugar in the cells of the body. It's like a key. So it opens up the cells and escorts the sugar in. And now the sugar can be used for fuel. But what happens is, is that there's so many carbohydrates, so much insulin, it's putting away all this, all this sugar into the body. And sometimes there's a lot of varieties of things that can happen, but oftentimes it puts away too much or it's that we don't need that much energy. So we don't burn it and then it gets stored as fat. And basically it will just leave us with this really big crash. So now the blood sugar went up and you might get feel some symptoms of blood sugar stuff here at the high part. You might feel cravings for sugar. You might feel dizziness, shakiness, um, anxiety, feeling hangry, feeling irritable, feeling brain fog, nausea, sweats. And you can feel that when the blood sugar is high. And then oftentimes it occurs as it's going down and it's dropping low as well. And so now the blood sugar is low and our body's sensing, okay, we need energy. So what is it going to make you do? It's going to make your brain thinks it that it needs fast energy. What's fast energy? Carbohydrates and sugar. So then you're going to have a mid-morning snack. So maybe you have an apple and you have coffee with sugar in it. So again, the blood sugar is going up. And then what's going to happen? We get the insulin release. It goes down again. Now it's time for lunch. And we have a sandwich with bread and chips and soda. Again, we get the mm -hmm. spike. And then it comes down. And then we need, we have that mid-afternoon crash. So this up, down, up, down of the blood sugar, we call this the blood sugar roller coaster. And it, because it's like this ride that you can't get off of because the blood sugar goes up, it crashes, you inevitably are craving more blood sugar. And so many people are trying so hard to get off sugar, get off carbs. But what's happening is that their physiology, their bodies are having this low blood sugar and it's causing them to desire these, this fast energy in the form of carbs and sugar. So they almost can't stop because their blood sugar is physiologically low and that they don't feel well if they don't eat it. And another thing compounding this is that their metabolisms are damaged from having eaten this way for so long. And I'm not putting any blame out there. This is what they mm -hmm. tell us to do. This was me. Like, there's no yeah. blame on anyone. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, they tell us to eat like this and our metabolism come, becomes damaged. Now we lack the ability to easily burn our own body fat or dietary fat for fuel. And so it leaves us dependent on the sugar and carbohydrates, which is a dangerous spot to be in because carbs and sugar are like kindling in a fire. So they're like you throw in some twigs and hay and it burns off super fast and hot, but then you're done. It, so fat is more like a log in the fire. It will burn low and slow. So we want to be able to burn fat for fuel because this is going to keep us stable. So eating all the time is always spiking our blood sugar and insulin. And we eat all the time because A, they tell us to eat all these meals all the time and have these snacks to keep our metabolism going, just like we talked about. Mm -hmm. Also, food is really available and we have this dysregulated blood sugar. And so we unknowingly, like unconsciously are just snacking and grazing and just throwing a handful of something in our mouth. You know, we're cooking and we're prepping and we're eating a little bit of something and food's all around and it's so convenient. And so 
no one thinks twice about eating so often. So the flip side of that is if we are eating six times a day, we're getting all these spikes. And there was actually a study done and it was showing that someone pulled, you know, an average group of students or people, I think in the United States, and it found that they were eating between 17 and 21 times a day. So it's not even that people are eating six times a day, that would almost be preferred. But you know, you think about it, anything, because this includes drinks too. So if someone has gets like an iced tea from the gas station, or they're drinking soda, or they're drinking coffee that has sugar and creamer and all these things in it, every time you're drinking that, you're having an insulin response. And insulin doesn't go down as fast as blood sugar. It kind of takes a while to fully go away. So what happens is, is that we're raising our insulin a lot. And now we're starting to develop resistance to this insulin. It's almost like the body needs more and more of it to actually sense it. Just like with alcohol, there's a tolerance that you build up or with sweetness, there's a tolerance. You need more and more to get that same effect. And so now the cells are not responding to the insulin. And so the sugar is knocking on the, the, the insulin's knocking on the door of the cell and they're like, no, we, we don't need you here. Or the cells are super filled up already with sugar, so there's no place for it to go. So now we get chronically elevated levels of blood sugar, or we get this fluctuation. Um, so we just see worsening symptoms with that. But on the other side, kind of how to fix this whole thing is if we eat foods, if we eat meals that are really centered around proteins and fats, we can mm-hmm. have some carbohydrates too, maybe in the form of, of vegetables and lower carbohydrate fruits or something like mm-hmm. raspberries or blueberries, or um, you know, just focusing on getting vegetable uh, carbohydrates in the form of, let's say, green vegetables. And then we focus on those fats and proteins it will keep us full and satiated and it won't cause a big spike in the blood sugar like this. It will be like a little blip on the radar. And all of these nutrients are going to keep us full until we have to eat lunch. And then we eat our next meal and we get a tiny blip, maybe no movement at all on the blood sugar. And then again, it's keeping us satiated and energized. And so that's kind of how you switch out of being the sugar burner. So I don't recommend to go like, full force right away, but gradually Mm -hmm. lowering those carbohydrates and getting the sugar out goes a really long way. And there's some hacks too that we can talk about if you want um, for not causing the blood sugar to rise Mm -hmm. so high. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You speak so much about blood sugar and things. And it's funny that most of the people are addicted to something, some ingredient that has some additional sugar added to it. Now, when we look around supermarkets all around the world, more than 70% of the things that are available in a commercial supermarket have uh, some kind of food sugar added to them. And with sugar, it carbohydrates and sugar, it becomes very tricky because in our biology, apart from the fact that the government or someone health practitioner or like a nutritionist has told us to eat those oatmeal, two-thirds of our tongue is made to appreciate sugar in some way or the other. And when I say appreciate, it's more like getting addicted to it. And yeah. it's funny that sugar or carbohydrates have such a different kind of um, biochemical reaction in our body because we've seen this in lab animals, right? In lab animals, like in rats, if you feed them sugar or cocaine, they mm-hmm. <laughs> well, nine times out of 10, they'll take sugar. And again, 
the chemical structure of sugar and cocaine is very similar. The way it acts on the dopamine response systems is very similar. And also, we have these different taste receptors located throughout the body. I think they're called like taste receptor member three and taste receptor member four. Um, a lot of them are located in our gut uh, and next to the gut microbiome, a lot in the hypothalamus, which is the part of the brain, which is the command center of the brain. So I want everyone to also know that if you are addicted to something and it's difficult for you to say no to it, it's not because you don't have any willpower or it's not because you aren't trying enough is because the way these things are made. So there are these groups of people called food scientists or food engineers, right? And the big companies hire them because they can kind of chemically alter the food in such a way that it can make it very hyper palatable. What does that mean? It means that once you get them, once you eat a bite of it, it's like Pringles like that. Ad, you know, once you pop, you can't stop. It's similar to a lot of things. And basically, their job is to design these food, which kind of get us hooked on. And 9.9 .9 times out of 10, they're not going to be healthy for you. So I love what you're saying about, um, you know, how you should take control of your eating habits. And I love that you mentioned don't go cold turkey on it because then, again, you, you'll get a keto flu or you'll get something or the other where, you know, you're dumping a lot of this water and then you aren't re replenishing it with enough minerals and salts yeah. and, you know, you have those hormonal things going on. Um, I recently did a tweet which was more focused on weight loss. and um, But when I look at your story, it could also, I now consider it to be an overall thing on general health. It was about fixing your hormones and how you should also take steps to kind of like understand your hormones first and work with an individual who probably knows better than you about fixing hormones because hormones are at the center of it all. How, um, according to me, hormones are key when you, uh, think about longevity and like Daniel mentioned, insulin and other things like testosterone, there are other things, IGF-1, growth hormone, all these things are, it comes under the same category. Now there are hormones that make you fold really fast. There are hormones that like, let's say for example, ghrelin, which is a hunger hormone. And what it does is it makes you hungry. But guess what? A lot of people advocate eating sugars in the form of fruits or fructose but um, the way it works the chemical structure of it is like no matter how many fruits you eat it's not going to increase your satiety and you spoke about satiety as well so tell me about hormones and your take on it how important do you think i i feel it's quite important but i want to uh, know from your side because you have an area of expertise in women's hormones which you know i probably don't have and a lot of women are um, looking for this kind of an advice because your normal doctor would just tell you to take the pill. <laughs> yeah. So the pill is definitely a band-aid for symptoms. So if you need to take the pill because your periods are just so painful and it's the only option you have, you know, these medicine, these, these options are there. And I took pharmaceutical medications to help too. So it, there's no shaming anyone who's taking it, but you really want informed consent. Like the, the birth control pill is depleting nutrients. It's, uh, increasing it. There's so much iron in it. It's depleting like B vitamins and zinc and other minerals that are really important for fertility. And it's stops you from ovulating. Like it's, it's pretty 
creepy, all the stuff that it does. And so right. I would really, really, if you're on the pill or any sort of artificial hormones, I would really look into it. And there's a lot of resources out there. A lot of people who are talking about this. I'll just give one. Um, Dr. Jolene Brighton has yeah. a book called Beyond the Pill. So really go into that. But um, we don't want to be masking symptoms. But what we want to do is really work with the root cause of all hormone issues, which is going to be insulin and our circadian rhythms and stress. So all of these things are governed by hormones. All hormones affect each other, but some more than others. So one of the biggest things that I find with my clients is that we specifically will work on blood sugar and insulin levels. And some of the hormonal responses that my clients get is that they feel so much more full and satiated. They don't need to eat nearly as often. They're not thinking about food. So it's freeing their minds up to think about other things, which is, I mean, which is really great. They feel, um, they don't feel that intense hunger. It's not like urgent anymore. It's not hangry. It's just like, yeah. oh, I could eat. Um, they have better sleep. They have reduced cramping in their periods. They have better menstrual cycles. They have fewer PMS symptoms. So all of a sudden you start to affect this underlying root cause and things can kind of trickle into place. And so we see it with every single hormonally driven symptom out there. And so I feel like what a great, it's such a great way to sort of simplify and do something that you're really moving the needle. So another thing that I had, which I didn't realize, I didn't include this in my story. I didn't realize that it was not, it was common, but it wasn't normal. So I had really bad PMS and what people call PMDD, which is premenstrual, I forget what it is. Um, we landed in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> premenstrual, pre I think it's yeah. something dysphoric. And so it's it's just a worsened version of PMS and it comes with a lot of mood symptoms uh -huh. and things like that. And I was, you know, whoever I was dating at the time, I would break up with them the week before my cycle was to begin because I was so sensitive. I mean, this was something that was really getting in the way of my life. And right. I had so many symptoms, like I said, with my cycles, there would be cramping and bloating and breast tenderness and acne and all these things. And that's actually not normal. And then once I fixed my blood sugar stuff, it did take some time. It took several months of being really consistent for those sex hormones to kind of trickle down um, and to kind of settle because I was changing things almost like if you think about it, like the foundation of a house or the bottom of a pyramid, I was fixing the blood sugar, the the um, the insulin, the cortisol levels, because I was working mm -hmm. on my stress, I was making sure I was prioritizing sleep. And then finally, those things kind of trickled in. Another one I forgot to mention is thyroid. So, so often, I work with women on their blood sugar, we don't touch the thyroid, we don't think yeah. about it yet, because we're just trying to, you know, dial in the diet. Medication, they're off their thyroid medication. And so these things have this trickle down effect. And mm -hmm. it it's it's just incredible how it works. So it without even going into the mechanisms and things, yeah. it's just you fix the blood, the the yeah. underlying stuff and everything falls into place. Yeah, exactly. If you fix the base of the pyramid, um, which the nutrition pyramid is completely wrong, but like if you fix the <laughs> base of health pyramid or not, yeah. how not to get sick pyramid. 
things um things work out often and i love that you mentioned circadian rhythm and sleep because yeah. i think um in most of the people that i've seen uh, people who consume a lot of carbohydrates or consume a lot of sugar and we also know this from science that sleep deprived people tend to have more cravings for sugar or carbohydrates the other thing is people who are stressed so you'll see this in exam students and um you know people who have just been pulling up an all-nighter or they're just stressed about something and other thing that we see in the last two years is people who are sad upset or lonely and they have um, a tendency to eat more carbohydrates and i feel like it's because i mean there could be multiple factors to it but like keeping it very simple would be a all of these food groups are addictive and b they're available everywhere so you don't have to like kind of uh, cross a river to get it uh, you just can get it anywhere and everywhere and also um, our brain always tries to make us comfortable and um, when you're sleep deprived and or when you're sad or stressed you lose a lot of energy in your brain and one of the ways to quickly shoot up energy into the brain is via glucose and what not most people don't realize is that um the commercial products like let's say chocolates or um other things which are which have a lot of sugar and fat available at the same time which is rarely available in nature mm-hmm. kind of like makes them addicted and um it gives them comfort but on the cost of the same uh hypothesis that you explained that insulin is like it it, it feeds things into the cells and once it doesn't have um once you have a lot of carbohydrates floating through the system then it unlocks fat cells and stores them as triglycerides. And also, I think one of the things, apart from body composition and um, you know gaining weight, is that if you have a lot of glucose circulating around your bloodstream, um, for everyone who's listening, um, and like Daniel mentioned, if insulin just knocks on and it can't remove it, then those blood sugar can even circulate and float around things like the arteries and then you have then you have this conditions like diabetes and then having a lot of sugar around the arteries that can also cause other things like arterial inflammation which can permanently damage your things like kidneys your uh, your brain then you have brain fog your eyes you have cardiovascular issues so i think it is very important that we spread this information and that's why i have the pleasure of talking to daniel today and talking to all of you guys who might just think that sugar or carbohydrates is centered around um you know it's just basic and it's because you see it everywhere it's necessary for you trust me it's not and if you're trying to lose fat then uh, it's not probably the best idea um how many of your clients come to you with um the purpose of just losing weight like women specifically um i would say that many of my clients who I see do have a goal of weight loss, but Mm -hmm. for the vast majority, that's not their primary goal. Usually I get women to say like, losing weight would be an added bonus, but I really want to get healthy because they come to me when they're already having other health issues because with insulin resistance, it causes weight loss resistance Mm -hmm. because insulin is a fat storage hormone. So when we eat sugar, it releases the insulin into the blood. The message that the body gets is store fat, store fat, Mm -hmm. store the sugar as fat, store the fat as fat. So that's why it's really dangerous to eat 
the carbs together with high fat because everything's being stored because mm -hmm. of the insulin. So when insulin's in the blood, according to Dr. Jason Fung, we can't be in a fat storage mode and a fat burning mode at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's what effectively blocks us from burning fat. So if you're a person who's like, oh, I could always eat whatever I wanted. And if I you know, started to gain a little bit of weight, I would just watch what I ate and then it would go away. Or I would just go to the gym a little bit more and I would lose it. And now I'm trying that and it's not working. That to me is a huge sign that you are in some stage, whether it's an early or later stage of insulin resistance, because now you can't just watch what you eat and exercise it away because the insulin resistance is what's blocking the fat burning. Um, but yes, a lot of people do have a goal of losing weight. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, there's so many people overweight and when you look at the grocery store and you look at all the foods there are for sale, and then you look at the general population, especially here in the United States, you are, you, and you know <laughs> this information that we're talking about, you say it's no wonder people look like this. Exactly. It's no wonder everyone's overweight because yeah. they're just, they're eating the foods that are available and that are advertised to them. And all of them are just devoid of the nutrients we need. They're not filled with these healthy fats that help stabilize the blood sugar. They're actually loaded with these vegetable oils, which we haven't talked about yet. And I think it's yep. really worth mentioning. Yep. Um, these vegetable oils, and when I say vegetable oils, first of all, I did not name them that. Someone else started calling them that. They're not made of vegetables. Someone <laughs> online yep. was like, why do you call them that? They're not made of vegetables. I'm like, I didn't <laughs> I didn't invent it. So basically, all the vegans would have got your attention. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, they're all these industrial seed oils. So things like canola, rapeseed, um, corn oil, cottonseed oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, rice bran oil, and grapeseed oil. So those are the main ones. And they are in everything. They are in so many processed foods. They're being shipped throughout the world now. They're being brought to underdeveloped nations and where they were eating their traditional food. And now there's like, it's stocked with soybean oil. And these oils, they inflame the receptors for insulin. And so they effectively cause insulin resistance. So they cause your body to feel so in the cell when the energy can't get into the cell your body is sensing an energy crisis so it's going to make you feel hungry and search for more food you're going to feel hungry all the time you're going to feel tired because you have no energy but there's all this energy circulating throughout your body in your blood and like you said these high blood sugar levels are now causing damage because this is inflammatory so it's damaging every single blood vessel in your body and there's every single cell in the body has receptors for insulin and blood sugar. So um, for insulin and can be fueled by blood sugar. Mm -hmm. So any issue with blood sugar and insulin can affect every part of the body. So you can just go down the body and make a list and blood sugar and insulin issues can affect it. So we talk about our brain. Alzheimer's is being called type three diabetes. Um, we get a lot of brain fog, mood issues when there's blood sugar issues. Our eyes, Diabetes is the leading cause of macular degeneration and blindness. Um, our teeth, we obviously know that sugar causes tooth decay. We're swallowing all that bacteria, and now we're causing all those bacteria are now inside of our body. Look at our skin. 
my acne was resolved when I stopped spiking my blood sugar. Um, we see eczema, psoriasis, we see darkening of the skin folds, um, different skin conditions being made worse by sugar. I had a client who had psoriasis and she started doing a ketogenic diet, no more psoriasis. I mean, it's, it's amazing how people heal. So you can do this for the whole body, the cardiovascular system. We get insulin resistance is like one of the leading causes of hypertension. They tell us it's salt. It's not salt. It's sugar. Don't have yeah. the sugar, have the salt. The salt is good for us. We need those minerals. Um, mm -hmm. it's an electrolyte. We want this natural unrefined salt, Himalayan salt, that's the good stuff. Um, and then we go into our gut. It causes overgrowth of yeasts and bad bacteria. We, it affects our kidneys. It affects our pancreas, our liver, I, I mean, and fertility. So one of the leading causes of infertility is PCOS, which we know is driven by insulin resistance. In men also, it can cause high sugar diets can yeah. cause infertility. And that's a huge problem for so many people. I'm seeing a new client because she said that her issue is infertility. She had no idea she had blood sugar issues. And that's her, those are her primary issues. When I took an inventory of all her symptoms, we need to just balance the blood sugar and she's going to be able to have a healthy baby. So it's, it's really wow. crazy that it, it's, it, it has so many far reaching effects. And that's why it's so hard to pinpoint that it's blood sugar because it's like, well, I have acne and I have infertility and I sometimes have brain fog. It's like, how are those things seemingly connected? They're very connected. So it's it's kind of cool once you figure it out, it's like, oh my goodness, all these things. And then you just hit it hard with the blood sugar control, which we can talk about those hacks yeah. and different things. Um, and then you just see, see progress in all areas. You have more energy, better moods, better sleep. <laughs> so it's great. Yeah, it's, it's crazy that um, blood sugar can be in the center of it all. And um... You and me, after knowing a little bit about these things more than the average person, we are able yeah. to connect those dots. But trust me, if you were to start this conversation at a normal party, not the kind of party we hang out with, but uh, yeah. just at a normal party, people will just look at you and be like, that doesn't make any sense. And I keep getting this so many times. And it's, it's also unfortunate that, you know, all this sugar that everyone's having and in america i think it was the stats were about like 30 spoons of uh table a tablespoon of sugar per per person on an average and if, if when you go around in the world you see that you know one in three people are either overweight or they're obese and obesity related illnesses like you know you could tell them diabetes or just anything under the roof now kills more than three times more people than malnutrition so this is like a global epidemic like everywhere in the world even the poorest countries in the world because of um yeah. bringing in all those soybean oils and you know just digressing from their natural ancestral diet and lifestyle are mm -hmm. now seeing conditions where people are getting more heart attacks and people are kind of becoming more obese and other sorts of problems so uh, yeah, the sugar is an important one, but bad <clears throat> fats, I would also, thanks for mentioning that because I would yeah. consider them equally as important as cutting I would out consider sugar. them actually more important, which is, yeah. if you can believe, because they become, they integrate, like at least you can burn off sugar, um, yeah. but you can't burn off a vegetable oil. It becomes you, it integrates into your cell membranes and then your fat becomes difficult to burn. So it actually 
causes dysfunction in your metabolism and they stay with you for years. So it's really creepy, the damage, but you know, insulin resistance, I always say the perfect storm for insulin resistance is vegetable oils, sugar, and flour. So we also need to think about that flour mm -hmm. is also just like sugar it's just as bad if not even worse again because it has the gluten component which is highly inflammatory for most people yeah. they spray wheat with glyphosate at least in the united states i'm sure they're going to do this other places too yeah, they're doing they, it in europe already yeah yeah they spray wheat with glyphosate which is roundup or killer um right before they harvest it to dry it out that would be like me walking around a restaurant and being like oh fresh black pepper glyphosate <laughs> like do you want me to just spray it yeah. on your food? Like, that's crazy. And this is causing so many issues with our with our gut bacteria. And it's yeah. I mean, it's a it's a it's a mess. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about some of those hacks. Now we've um yeah. made sure that everyone believes that um, you know, having sugar is bad, bad fats. Um, if you guys want, we've covered this in a little bit of details on my podcast earlier with Dr. Rimka. We get around this oh, whole cell membrane issue. <laughs> yeah, she's cool. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, so, but I want to talk to you about these hacks. Are you using glucose disposal agents? What, what's your way around um, those occasional so, glucose spikes? Yeah, so I sometimes use a finger prick meter, but I do have access to a continuous glucose monitor, so mm -hmm. I'll use those. Um, and... I, I, you know, I use, I test my ketones as well mm -hmm. because the ketones are going to be the closest measure we have to knowing what our insulin levels are doing. We don't have the technology currently to be testing insulin levels. We kind of have to infer that from what the blood sugar and the ketones are doing. So some of the main things, so what we want to do mostly is avoid the blood sugar spiking high. And there's no, um, I'm sorry that I, I, don't have um, a calculator to translate. Oh, I have it on my computer. So um, I'm going to translate to millimoles because we do things in milligrams per deciliter because, of course, why can't yeah. we use the same units of measure that yeah. the rest of the world uses? Yeah. <laughs> you know, over here, sticking with Fahrenheit and feet instead of meters. Yeah, it's always a challenge. Celsius. It's so annoying. Why do they do this to us? So, um, okay. So we don't want our blood sugar to rise more than about 30 milligrams per deciliter at a meal, which would be 1.6 millimoles. So we, but it's not like, oh, at 1.6, it's a 1.5, it's okay, 1.6, it's bad. We just yeah. don't wanna have these sharp spikes. Um, we also don't want our blood sugar to go higher. It's considered that if our blood sugar goes higher than 7.7 .7 millimoles or 140 milligrams per deciliter, yeah. that that is where it starts to become quite inflammatory for the body. Um, mm. A lot of people have blood sugar that's much higher than this all the time. That's pre-diabetes, right? That, that you are <clears throat> um, into pre-diabetes then? Uh, no, they say that pre-diabetes is usually between fasting between um, 100 and 125 uh, yeah. Milligrams per deciliter, which would be 5.5 to, uh, I'm sorry, I'm doing all this conversion over here, 5.5 to 6.9. They uh -huh. say that's the pre diabetic range, but it also has to do with your A1C. So it's not just yeah. based on one number of fat. Um, but those are fasting numbers, which would be mm -hmm. different than taking it after a meal. So <clears throat> I guess in general, we want our blood sugar 
to be between, and I just, I need a chart of these common numbers yeah. that I use. 3.8 uh, fasting, we want it 3.8 fasting, which is 70 milligrams per deciliter to 4.7, which is 85 milligrams per deciliter. If you don't know what this stuff is, if it's just like, what are these numbers about? Just ignore it. <laughs> um, yeah. Nothing, you know, come back to listen to it once you get a glucose meter, because yeah. this is it really where the, yeah, this is the, the cool biohacks we can do is we can test mm -hmm. our blood sugar. It's amazing the information that it gets that we can get from this and we can start keeping track of. Um, so basically, if your blood sugar is above that like 140 mark that I talked about, mm -hmm. I like mine to be even lower than that after a meal. That's how I feel my best. I don't want to feel okay just because it's okay. I want to feel optimal. And so by keeping my blood sugar in a nice tight range, that's where I feel my best. I'm burning fat for fuel. I'm sleeping better. I have stable energy, all these benefits. And then you also get those long-term benefits. So blood sugar regulation has short-term effects and long-term effects. So if our blood sugar is spiking and crashing all the time, that's going to set us up for all those things that we talked about earlier, like heart disease and um, you know, brain issues and mood issues, et cetera, et cetera. So the name of the game is keeping our blood sugar tightly controlled. And we do that by trying to avoid these spikes of the blood sugar. So first and foremost, we want to eliminate the vegetable oils, the flour. So this is anything refined flour made out of a grain. So if it's oat flour, wheat flour, corn flour, whatever this is, we want to get these grain flours out. Um, and then sugars, sugars of any kind. So don't fall into the trap like honey is natural sugar, so it must be better. It's, it is a little bit better because it has a few mm -hmm. nutrients in it. Yeah. So it's a little bit better, but it's still going to spike your blood sugar. So if we're talking about blood sugar health, even fruit, like you mentioned, I was so into fruits when I was doing paleo. It was like smoothies and acai bowls and berries Same. and just nonstop bananas blended in my iced coffee. Like I was just fruit, fruit, fruit all day long. And I was like, it's natural, but it, it adds up and it mm -hmm. still causes this blood sugar response. And it also has fructose, which is even more damaging to your liver. So it's not to say that we can't have any, but we really want to lower this amount a lot. Um, so then we want to think about focusing when we build a plate, we want to focus on healthy proteins and fats. And so these fats are going to come from natural animal sources. So it could be butter or ghee. Um, it could be animal fats like tallow or lard, as long as it comes from a healthy animal. We want to try as hard as we can within our means to get the healthiest animals possible. We want to eat eggs, um, fish eggs, fatty fish like herring or uh, sardines. And then we can get those fruit fats, which are things like olives, avocados, and coconuts, if they're regional and reasonable to get for you. Uh, some nuts and seeds. I know that those are bigger in the Middle East. So mm -hmm. we just want to make sure that we're getting from natural sources, not something that's been made in a factory with solvents and hexanes and bleach and all these things like those seed oils. And those vegetable oils. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we want to focus on those healthy fats and then the animal protein. So I always tell my clients, start with a fattier cut of meat because then you're getting the fat with it. It will help you feel so much more satiated. I notice a huge difference in my hunger levels and my energy levels if I was to eat a grass-fed steak as opposed mm -hmm. to like a piece of white fish. 
Huge, yeah. huge difference. Um, even if I add fats to it, there's just a difference. Um, and then we can do things like the order in which we eat our food is really important. So you can start by eating the fats and proteins. You can eat green vegetables, but just save your carbs for last. And when I say carbs, I'm not really including these very fibrous vegetables that have just like one or two or three carbs. I'm talking about things like a sweet potato or a regular potato or rice or grains or things like this. Even beans are higher, in, a little bit higher in carbohydrates as well, legumes, pulses, yeah. whatever you want to call them. So we want to save our carbs for last. Another hack would be to go for a walk after you eat, after your meal. Yeah. Uh, another hack, because that's going to use up some of the sugar. Then you can also center your carbohydrates around workouts because you're going to, if you have the carbs first, you can burn some of that sugar off as you're working out. Or if you have them after, it's almost like your, your muscles are just so depleted in the glycogen that it just kind of fills in and doesn't even have a blood sugar response. So I see that a lot on my CGM is that if I eat carbs after meal, uh, after workout, uh, I don't get a spike. So that's cool. Um, having apple cider vinegar before your meal can actually really help to reduce the glucose spike. It also helps to improve digestion because it improves stomach acid and bile. So that's like a win, win, win. Um, and that's a really great one to add. And then we can also think about adding like a salad before our meal or some sort of vegetables. So it could be like cooked vegetables as well. As long as they're lower in carbohydrates, all that fiber can help to slow down the absorption of the carbohydrates. And then when we think about carbohydrates, we always want to have them in their whole real form. So this would be like an apple instead of apple juice, yep. um, mango instead of dried mango or like a grape instead of a raisin. Um, rice instead of a rice cake. So you see that all that little processing, even if it's just drying it or turning it into a flour or a potato instead of a potato chip. So as soon as it gets more processed, that kind of concentrates the sugar. So it spikes you more. It also takes out that that fiber element that helps to slow the digestion. And this is even true with smoothies, that the fiber in smoothies has been so pulverized that it's not really slowing down your digestion of the carbohydrates, so it will still spike you. So always eat your carbohydrates in their whole natural form, eat them at the end of a meal, maybe after a workout and after eating lots of healthy fats and proteins and start to lower that amount of carbohydrates and you're golden. <laughs> yep. Um, those advices were gold, honestly. Thank you so much for sharing those. And for everyone sure. who's listening, um, I hope you're taking notes. And if you're not, just rewind the episode when it's safe to do so and then put all of those down because I incorporate almost every one of them in my regular um, day. And it's not that difficult to implement. And this is one of those things where we speak about so many different hacks and strategies, but it's not always feasible for everyone, but everything that Daniel just mentioned, like having some apple cider vinegar around your house, going for a 10-minute walk, you know, just simple things, simple things where give you the biggest return because you can do them for life. It's just stacking every day and you don't have to do everything together. Take a step today, take a step tomorrow, take a step day after and in just a few weeks, you will notice that it will just be a part of you. And every time you travel or anywhere you are in the world, it'll be so much more easier to do this. So thank you for sharing all of those. What are your take on um, these herbs and, um, 
you know, some of the supplements and herbs like berberine, cinnamon extract, chromium, um, these kind of things to lower blood sugar. Do you use them personally or? <clears throat> so um, if you are deficient in certain minerals like chromium, you will mm -hmm. have blood sugar issues. So it's worth potentially, you know, re-upping your stores of chromium and magnesium as well. So uh, it's definitely worth it to have some of those minerals to make sure it's your issues are not being caused by a deficiency but that it's not gonna like totally get rid of an issue you can't mm -hmm. like just take these supplements and your blood sugar is going to be fine but you definitely want to make sure that you're sufficient in them then uh berberine cinnamon i'm not sure if it has so much of an effect and berberine can have an effect but it needs to be a little bit longer term that you might find that over time your blood sugar might come down a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Some people it's helpful for, but honestly, the, the apple cider vinegar <laughs> tends Does to work, works even better. So you can kind of save your money on that. And I, mm -hmm. I don't know enough about cinnamon, but I haven't heard very convincing research. I heard mm -hmm. that it, again, maybe it's like over time, but you can do so much more, like save your money on buying all this cinnamon mm -hmm. and do these hacks instead try the apple cider vinegar and you know go for the walks lower yep. the carbs it's yep. so much more <laughs> effective <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um talk to me about what is sugar-free 30. oh sugar-free 30 is a program that i designed it's a free program and it addresses all the areas of blood sugar dysregulation and not all the areas of blood sugar dysregulation. Sorry, I haven't talked about this in a while. Um, mm -hmm. All different areas that you need to kind of dial in. So it's a holistic yeah. kind of program for optimizing blood sugar regulation. And so basically, it it's sort of like the Whole30, if you've heard of that. But mm -hmm. the Whole30 doesn't necessarily account for blood sugar issues or macros. So with the Whole30, we work on things with our diet. So we're making sure that we're not eating uh, a lot of carbohydrates. There's different rules on that. And we, you need to take a 10 minute walk per day. You need to work out uh, like three mm -hmm. to four times a week. You need to do 20 minutes of stress reducing activities daily because stress has a huge impact on our blood sugar. And there's also a fasting component. So it at least a 16, eight fast per day. And then sometimes you can do more than that. So this is an intense program. So there's different yeah. levels of it. So if you've never fasted before, like maybe just don't include that or just start with like, oh, you know, I've been eating for 14 hours of the day. Maybe I'll try a 12 hour fast, you know, like starting where you're at and just kind of slowing it up. And there's different levels. So you don't need to go like full blown ketogenic right away. You can include some carbohydrates at the beginning, but it's a very effective program, but it is intense. So you can up or down regulate the intensity to, to help you. But it's a really great start because it's comprehensive in terms of all the areas that we need to look at for regulating blood sugar, which, and also prioritizing sleep, getting outside. So those things are recommended in the program as well. And if people want to find this program, is this available on your website? Yeah, daniellehamiltonhealth.com. And it's free to join. And there's also a Facebook group if you wanted to join for support or just talking about your experience, sharing meals, things like that. Okay, so that's daniellehamiltonhealth.com, guys, for everyone who's listening. Um, it's a fantastic program. Go for it. It's for free, so make use of it. And thank you, Daniel, for providing that to us. 
Um, and we've almost reached to the end of this podcast. And my final question mm-hmm. to you is, if you had a time machine or you had an access to one of those movie time machines and you could go back in time, you know, mm-hmm. in your 20s or your 30s, uh, what would be that one thing that you would want to change or you would give yourself uh, younger self an advice to do it, it doesn't have to be about health it could be about anything but what would you go back and tell your younger self to do wow um i think i i wish i was just eating healthier from an early age mm-hmm. but it would you know it's hard to feel like i would give myself re- a change because it would change now. And I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing. So I can't say that I regret anything that happened because I feel like my life happened in this divine way that now I'm here where I am. But, you know, again, it's a magic wand, it's hypothetical. I just wish I were eating healthier from an earlier age and not eating all these processed carbohydrates and having canola oil and things. Cause my mom didn't know this. We were, I was a product of the eighties and nineties. It was all low fat and I got really sick and I was really sick in my twenties. And I feel like I, my life would be really different if I were healthier and knew this information that I knew now. So. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. And I would also encourage everyone who's listening to this show whether you're a young person or an old person whether you have kids you don't have kids just make sure you spend enough time and energy to figure out what's right for perhaps you and Mm -hmm. for a loved one and if you see someone going out of course then take some kind of accountability and tell your um tell someone who's younger than you or someone doesn't have that kind of life experience or who just thinks things are always magically going to work out. Every one of us knows that, you know, as you age, things change. So be accountable, give that young person advice and um, let's make a healthier community for the future. Daniel, it has been a pleasure to talk to you today. And um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you and all the work that you have done and all the information. And thank you for all the hacks that you've given us. This has been fantastic. And um, we've mentioned your website already. Is there anything else you would like to tell the audience before we close off? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a fun conversation. And so I have a very active Instagram account. I make a lot of content over there that kind of helps to simplify some of these dense and hard to understand topics. My Instagram is Danielle Hamilton Health. And then I also have a podcast called Unlock the Sugar Shackles. And so I'm I'm a talker, as you could probably tell. <laughs> and so yeah. I have a bunch of episodes over there um, where you can check that out anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah, we will link that in the show notes. And if you guys um, didn't catch that, then go onto my Instagram page right now. And there's a story that mentions Daniel's Instagram. So you can find it right over there. Daniel, it's been a pleasure. And for everyone who's listening, thank you for spending your time with us. And I hope you have a great day, um, great evening, and take care of yourselves. Yeah, you too. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.